Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Welcome to 2022, everybody, even if I say the sports calendar doesn't reset till after the Super Bowl. It's a new year, and BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best wagering action in the new year. You can sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code BLEAVE. B-L-E-A-V, when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. Good afternoon or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live, because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. I hope you all are having a fan-flippin'-tabulous day here today. It is January 14th, according to my count, but it may not be that according to your count. Either way, we appreciate you stopping in here on this fantabulous Friday. Here on the Take It Easy podcast, we have got a wonderful show planned for you today. I would like to uh, continue a conversation that we had back in September and a little bit into October about Ben Simmons because there's an interesting development here. And this is probably the place to work this in because I've been wanting to talk about this for a couple days. We had our gambling preview yesterday. We had our podcast with Morgan from Australia on Wednesday, and we had... We have coming up, by the way, another podcast with Walter Mitchell to get ready for Wild Card Weekend dropping tomorrow morning. So look out for another bonus episode Saturday, Wired Up on Sunday, NFL Monday, Memes of the Weekend coming up. It's a lot of football coming in here. So I want to talk about Ben Simmons a little bit here to work our way in before we get to the weekend that is in the Wild Card. Because Wild Card Weekend's fun. All year I talk about how the regular season doesn't matter, and so I'd be remiss to not actually do postseason coverage for the NFL in about five hours of it. Five hours of content coming your way here on the Take It Easy podcast around NFL wildcard weekend. We already did three hours of content earlier this week, so here's five more hours coming your way. We got 20 minutes on Ben Simmons to lighten the mood a little bit. Actually, before we get to that, I, I almost forgot, that's the B block. But first, more NFL talk, because on Tuesday we talked about Brian Flores, on Wednesday we talked about Joe Judge, and today we're talking about David Culley, because you can count them up, people. This is now eight NFL head coaches that are available. They're doing the SEC thing, where they're like, if you ain't one of the best teams, we're just firing everyone. SEC, 70% of their coaches turned over within three years, and now the sport's changing, where we find out everyone is interchangeable. If you're not one of the seven best coaches in the sport, or eight best coaches in the sport, totally interchangeable. You are just totally interchangeable coaches trying to fight for those five playoff spots 
that aren't guaranteed to the teams that have quarterbacks. You know, the Chiefs are going to make the playoffs every year for the next 10 years. Bills are going to make the playoffs every year, barring injury to Josh Allen for the next five years. Patriots are at least going to be up there because they have Bill Belichick. The Bengals are going to be in the playoffs every year because they have Joe Burrow. The Ravens are going to be there because they have Lamar Jackson. Boom, five teams in the AFC every year for the next five years. Those are going to be your playoff teams in the AFC. You go to the NFC, as long as Aaron Rodgers is a Packer, Packers are going to keep making the playoffs. Tampa Bay, probably still going to keep making the playoffs because that division is going to be terrible for the next two or three years. Arizona Cardinals, they have Kyler Murray. They're going to be relevant for the next few years. Dallas Cowboys, they have Dak Prescott for the next five years. They're going to be relevant. and not, Not make the playoffs every year, but pretty damn close to making the playoffs every year. So, there you, uh, you could throw the Rams in there too with McVay. That's 10 teams right there. They're going to be in the playoffs every year. McVay's made the playoffs for the last five years. Everyone else is just destroying each other, fighting for four playoff spots. Four playoff spots for everyone else trying to get in this game as they try and find a franchise quarterback. And this year just happened to be the year everyone's getting fired. And part of the reason why there's so many coaching openings is because two jobs... Well, two maybe if you want to count the Giants one too, because the Giants one's come open three times in the last four years. So if you want to bring it together, the Giants job is in this mix too, but the Texans and the Jaguars, this apocalyptic hellscape of the AFC South, where Andrew Luck was going to run that division for a decade, and then Derrick Henry had a weird, miraculous AFC championship run, and then it was Deshaun Watson, and everything's fallen apart again. Two years ago today, two years ago today, the Houston Texans were up 24-0 on the Kansas City Chiefs, about to go to the Super Bowl, because they were going to play the Tennessee Titans in the conference championship. Again, Two years ago, the Texans were up 24-0 going to the Super Bowl. Cannot emphasize this enough. Two years ago. And now the Houston Texans are on their third head coach in the time being, and David Culley gets fired here. And now, also, Mike Tomlin is the only head coach, is the only African-American head coach in the NFL at this point, which the numbers are going to get better after this hiring cycle, like it was coming into this year, three of 32 NFL head coaches were black. And it's going to go up from that at the end of this cycle because there's just so many African-American candidates in this talent pool. I know Gerard Mayo might be the person who replaces uh, David Cully in Houston because they're just going to find another Patriots guy. They, they hired a Patriots guy before um, with, uh, I forgot the name of the general manager. They hired Bill O'Brien, Patriots guy. Jack Easterby comes from the Patriots. The pastor who's basically running the organization. And he's basically the owner of the Texans is the team pastor for the Patriots because that's how the NFL works sometimes with some of these franchises is the team pastors running the Patriots. They bring a Patriots guy as a general manager. They're going to hire a Patriots guy as a head coach. I was joking it was going to be Steve Belichick, but it turns out they're going to go with the other Patriots guy, Gerard Mayo, because they just want to get all Patriots guys hanging out in Houston. Whoever they hire in Houston is irrelevant, and this isn't going to be a conversation about how there aren't enough black head coaches in the NFL, because there are not. However, at the end of this cycle, there are probably going to be more black head coaches than there were going into this cycle. They fired two, at least three are probably going to get hired. Still abysmal numbers. But you can point to it and say, yay, progress. You have a gigantic pool of black candidates for head coaching opportunities, whether it be Eric Bieniemy, Byron Leftwich, Todd Bowles, Vance Joseph, 
Uh, t- obviously, Brian Flores coming through the cycle again, Leslie Frazier. The fact that you can name just those off the top of your head uh, as candidates for head coaching jobs is improving the point here is that there is a legitimate pool now it just comes down to coaches or i'm sorry owners and people in power overwhelmingly white men still in general manager positions owner positions overwhelmingly white men deciding to not hire more white men as the houston texans fired bill o'brien or i forgot who was the general manager before anyways the point being it's not a conversation about that because we can we have this conversation every year we had it when david cully got hired last year about how there are only three black head coaches in the nfl there were only two at the end of the cycle cully got fired brian flores got fired now there's only mike tomlin there's going to be three more getting hired and they're going to go to franchises that really don't have a chance of ever being competitive because they don't have a franchise quarterback or have a path to acquiring a franchise quarterback. Maybe Brian Flores is that special kind of coach, and we just don't know it yet, but for the most part, interchangeable coaches that don't get franchise quarterbacks. What I find interesting with the Cully situation is people who are arguing on behalf of David Cully getting to keep his job. But the thing that we knew from the very beginning with David Cully was this was just a situation that was set up to do damage control. This is a funny thing that happened with all the Houston coaches, and sometimes racism can be so transparent that you have to laugh at it because otherwise it's just kind of depressing. But this thing happens when white people get into management positions, and this is ultimately the point of why there are not enough black coaches or Hispanic coaches or Asian coaches in any of these sports leagues, especially sports leagues that are overwhelmingly represented by white men in positions of power, is that When a coach does get hired, whether it's a black head coach or a Hispanic head coach, there is already a shorter leash because according to the people who are putting you in a position of power, usually it's because they couldn't hire another white guy. Very often, it's not because you were the most qualified candidate for the job. These jobs are not given on meritocracy. This is not a meritocracy in America. And one of the things I find interesting with this is... David Cully and and sports teams, often when you go into massive damage control where your job is not desirable, one of the things you do is hire a black guy. And this is a thing that ends up happening in sports, which is when a job becomes undesirable or you need damage control and you give people specifically white people with head coaching opportunities, more options to choose from, they're not going to pick that. Remember last offseason cycle when there were six head coaching jobs and the Houston Texans job and the Philadelphia Eagles job were just total dumpster fires of head coaching opportunities? You know, there were four jobs open in there and Jacksonville wasn't was a terrible franchise, but at least they had Trevor Lawrence and that brought Urban Meyer to turn down the University of Texas to go coach the Jacksonville Jaguars because of the chance of coaching Urban Meyer. Robert Sala turned down the Detroit Lions, his hometown team, because he could get that top pick in the draft. Detroit Lions, not a great job. They still went and hired Man Campbell. And the Houston and Philadelphia jobs looked to be so undesirable that they had to find another pool of candidates. Nick Sirianni was the offensive coordinator for the Colts. He did not interview for any other jobs and the Philadelphia Eagles hired him without him having a suit because he was in Hawaii on vacation. 
The Colts missed the playoffs two years in a row. Sirianni came from the Chargers, who missed the playoffs with Phillip Rivers, to then going to the Indianapolis Colts, who missed the playoffs for two years, and as offensive coordinator, got to be the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. It worked out. But we thought the Philadelphia Eagles were going to be bad, and the Philadelphia Eagles are the second worst team in the playoffs non-Pittsburgh Steelers category. If not for the Colts falling apart at the end of the season, we'd be making jokes about how the Eagles don't belong in the playoffs, which they don't. The tiebreakers were wrong this year. The Saints should have gotten in over the Philadelphia Eagles. The tiebreakers were simply incorrect in evaluating who the best team was. So... The Philadelphia Eagles hired Nick Sirianni, and the Houston Texans were an even bigger dumpster fire because they were coming off a 4-12 season. J.J. Watt was going to get released upon request, and Deshaun Watson had demanded a trade out of Houston. This is before all of the Deshaun Watson sexual harassment and sexual assault allegations come forward and lawsuits are being brought against him. And what's happening in Houston then is this franchise just burned everything to the ground. In 12 months, went from you know up 24-0 on the Chiefs, going to the Super Bowl, burned everything to the ground. Burned everything to the ground in Houston. And they went and hired the only person who would take the job, which is hiring a black guy who had no future path to becoming an NFL head coach. David Culley was 65 years old when he was hired as head coach of the Houston Texans. He was a wide receivers coach for the Baltimore Ravens coming off of a season where the Baltimore Ravens had one of the worst receiving cores in the NFL, which has nothing to do with David Culley. It's just the fact that they had injuries to a bunch of guys and didn't put the talent around him. Like David Culley from the 32nd ranked receiving core in the NFL, got hired to be the head coach of the Houston Texans. Totally underqualified to be a head coach if you believe that head coaching opportunities are based on meritocracy. David Culley collected that because in his NFL career, he has never made more than $600,000 a year as an NFL position coach. The lowest paid head coach in the NFL last year David Culley still got $4 million from the Houston Texans. And by the way, the Houston Texans fired him. He's getting $17 million guaranteed after the fact. David Culley is going to make $22 million for one year of coaching the Houston Texans because there is no salary cap on head coaches. And so teams can just hire and fire head coaches willy-nilly because owners have unlimited amounts of resources and unlimited amounts of revenue to pay head coaches. The NFL is the sport that does this even more than college football because college football pays $50 million buyouts to Will Muschamp as just F.U. money all over the place. And the NFL has even more F.U. money than college. And so David Culley gets $22 million for one year as head coach of the Houston Texans. He was there to collect his checks and do damage control, sign a bunch of people to one-year contracts, and just go lose. Because not only were the Houston Texans 4-12 and with Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt, they, which, by the way, the reason that was the case is because they were ridiculously unlucky in one-possession games. They probably should have won seven games that last year with Bill O'Brien. Not only do they fire Bill O'Brien, cut Romeo Cornell, who was the interim coach for the whole season, and get rid of David Culley after one season, they do it in a really expensive way. 
But that's kind of what they had to do, right? They had to kind of mask the idea that we have bungled this so bad that no one wants to take this job. We have no draft picks. We have no path forward to success. And we have no resolution with the Deshaun Watson situation, which, by the way, only got worse because they couldn't trade Deshaun Watson after his sexual assault and sexual harassment allegations came in. So not only did you lose the franchise quarterback, you can't even get value back for him because Deshaun Watson is now possibly going to jail and is in this purgatory of he's not allowed to come back to the NFL for two years. And so the Texans are just in this holy hell of a mess. And so they just hired a black guy. And the reason was literally nobody else would take the Houston Texans job and only when that job became more desirable would they hire another coach. David Culley was never going to be a head coach in the NFL. David Culley got that job as a way to collect checks and then just keep afloat. Someone had to be the head coach for a year, and he had to assemble a staff, and everyone got fired afterwards. And everyone points to the, they went 4-12 and with Deshaun Watson, and without him, they went 4-13, and and David Culley deserves to keep his job. Super selective stat picking, one, but two... It also acts as if David Culley ever had a chance of being the Texans head coach in the future. David Culley was only there because someone had to be there. And David Culley was there because David Culley literally could not refuse that offer. He got an offer he literally could not refuse. That just funded his retirement and paid for his grandchildren's college. I don't know if David Culley has children or not. I'm just putting that out there. It's like David Culley never made more than Six, $600,000 as a head coach or as a position coach in the NFL. And he got $22 million as head coach of the Houston Texans. He literally could not turn down that job, even if he had a 0% chance of remaining the head coach of the Houston Texans in the long run. The reason that I thought David Culley was going to stay around another year was that I thought the Houston Texans were going to tank again next year. But Houston looks up now, and whoever it's going to be really ironic if they hire a white guy, but it looks like they're going to hire Gerard Mayo coming over from the Patriots. What's interesting for the Houston Texans, who are going to bungle this, like it's going to be a failure, a long, long failure. The Texans are in the same camp with the Broncos and the Giants, where these jobs are not desirable at all, unless they magically luck their way into a franchise quarterback, which doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime in the near future. The Houston Texans are a really, really not desirable job. Again, this year, they just happen to be in a market where everyone who fired their coaches generally was an undesirable job. Like the Bears at least have a chance because they have Justin Fields. But if you take Justin Fields out of the equation, the Chicago Bears are maybe a worse job than the Houston Texans because at least the Texans have draft picks going forward. Bears don't even get a draft pick this year, but the Bears have Justin Fields, so it's at least a possibility. The Jacksonville Jaguars job is an apocalyptic hellscape for whoever's taking it, but you have Trevor Lawrence, and so it's at least better than the Broncos, who are an absolute shit show, but don't have Trevor Lawrence, or the New York Giants, which are the worst-run organization in the NFL, but also don't have Trevor Lawrence. And so all of these jobs suck in this cycle. And so some of these coaches have to, who, who want to be head coaches have to take these crappy jobs. 
And I know that the Texans are connected to Brian Flores, but Brian Flores is too good for that job. Brian Flores is too good for the Houston Texans. He's also too good for the Chicago Bears, but if you look around at your shitty options in this cycle, because it's a lot of really, really shitty options available in the head coaching cycle this year. You've got five jobs with not just terrible franchises, but inept owners that don't have franchise quarterbacks. You could argue two as a franchise quarterback or that Deshaun Watson's going to the Dolphins. But if Deshaun Watson is going to the Dolphins, that job is by far the best head coaching opportunity in the NFL. If not, it's not as good as the Raiders, but the Raiders also have an inept owner. So... All of these jobs suck, and so the Texans' job only looks less crappy than it did last year ever so slightly. And the reason the Texans fired David Culley is because they looked around and saw themselves in a position where they could get someone better than David Culley. Again, David Culley literally could not refuse that offer from the Houston Texans. Was the lowest paid head coach in the NFL, still got $22 million for one year of being the Texans' head coach. And David Culley walks away basically funding his retirement. David Culley can retire tomorrow, 66 years old, $22 million. Congratulations. A lifetime of work in the NFL. You get you, you never were going to get to be a real head coach in the NFL, but at least you got to be paid like a real head coach in the NFL. That's a small consolation prize. It's like the thing I talk about with Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Brid- and quarterbacks like Teddy Bridgewater who get those big contracts from terrible franchises is, look, you're not good enough to be one of the 24 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. I know there's 32 teams, but there's only 24 starting level quarterbacks. Teddy Bridgewater, Mitchell Trubisky, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, you're just not good enough to be one of those guys. As a small consolation prize, at least you might get paid like one. Because teams that don't have a franchise quarterback want the illusion of having a franchise quarterback. So Teddy Bridgewater gets $29 million from the Denver Broncos and the Carolina Panthers over two seasons. Look, it's not like it. you're technically a starting quarterback, but it's a really low bar for being a starting quarterback. But at least you get paid like one if you're Teddy Bridgewater. If you're uh, Cam Newton, who got ten million dollars from the Saints and or from the ten million from the Patriots and ten million from the Panthers, you're not one of the twenty-four starting quarterbacks anymore. But at least you kind of got paid like one for a season. And so, uh, Jacoby Brissett, same thing. Jacoby Brissett, not a starter in the NFL, but the Colts gave him thirty million dollars over two years. At least you kind of got paid like you were a starting quarterback in the NFL. And so this is an interesting thing that happens with David Culley is, yeah, you'd not really ever got a chance of being a head coach, but it didn't look like if not for this apocalyptic hellscape of a situation where the Texans not only are being run by second generation of a racist owner, you're also the son of a racist owner. I, I assume there's some bloodlines in there that racism is passed down generationally, not genetically, but racism is an is an is a trait that you observe from someone in a position of power. And Cal McNair is the guy who was playing video games at, in his twenties as a uh, as a there was some title as a high ranking power as assistant to the owner. He's basically playing video games in his twenties at the Texans organization. You basically have him and a team chaplain, a team pastor, running 
the Houston Texans, and they bungled De- uh, DeAndre Hopkins, they bungled J.J. Watt, they bungled Deshaun Watson, then Deshaun Watson bungled himself, which put the franchise in even worse position, back-to-back years of four wins, and the franchise isn't any closer to getting better, because they've had eight wins, <laughs> they've gone 8-25 and 25 over the last two years, and they have nothing to show for it. They have literally nothing to show for it. All they have is Davis Mills. Because last year they traded their first and second round picks, signed a bunch of one-year guys all off the team now except Rex Burkhead. They have, for an 8-25 and 25 season, the Texans have Rex Burkhead and Davis Mills to show for it because they didn't have any top draft picks last year, they didn't sign any big free agents, and they've now gone 8-25 and 25 over the last two years. It's one of the worst... It's, it's why I'm amazed Bill O'Brien is going to get another head coaching job despite the fact that he went four division titles in six years is the end of that situation in Houston was the worst collapse of any professional franchise in the shortest amount of time we've ever seen worse than the Jacksonville Jaguars who after making it within eight minutes of getting to the Super Bowl ended up having the worst record in the NFL over the next four years like Houston in Houston did in two years what took Jacksonville four years no it took Houston one year to do what Jacksonville did in three years in terms of everything falling apart in an apocalyptically terrible way. David Culley never had a chance to be the head coach of the Houston Texans. I thought they were going to keep him around because they still can't do much better than David Culley. I thought they were going to wait around and let the situation improve itself because Nick Casario is still going to get all the decision-making power for the Texans and they're still going to roll out Davis Mills or a Davis Mills adjacent next year at quarterback. Maybe it's Mitch Trubisky, like we said on the QB roulette we played last week. But they're going to be bad again next season. And the Houston Texans at least are going to start to get the draft pick compensation to show for all of their terrible, terrible play. But I guess they decided Gerard Mayo was the guy for this run. And I thought they were just going to like swallow their pride and say, we're just going to, for this entire rebuild, just let David Culley ride it out for two seasons. We're going to suck. We're going to have virtually no draft picks, but I guess we want a different coach to come in and develop. By the way, a different coach who, no matter who the Houston Texans bring in, they are going to get fired within three years. Guarantee. No matter who the Texans hire is going to get fired by the end of three years. Unless they do, unless they're one of the special coaches that can do more with less, No, and maybe Gerard Mayo is that guy, but going to get fired within three years, no matter who the Houston Texans hire, they're going to get fired within three years. Has nothing to do with the coach, has nothing to do with the, well, it has a lot to do with the quarterback situation, but it it has a lot to do with the fact that coaches are so replaceable in the NFL at this point, and the Houston Texans are such a crappy situation that whoever they hire is only going to be slightly more qualified than David Culley, and they're all going to be interchangeable head coaches with a roster that simply has no talent. Because again, they've gone 8-25 and the last two seasons, and all they have to show for it is Davis Mills and Rex Burkhead. That's it. That's the only significant pieces they've added to the team that weren't also on the 2020 team that was, again, up 24-0, on the Kansas City Chiefs about to go to the goddamn Super Bowl. All the defensive pieces, same guys from that team. Lovey Smith was the coordinator last year. I didn't even know that. Now he's done. Maybe Lovey Smith's done as a coach at this point in his career. 
And whoever the Houston Texans hire is basically starting from where the Detroit Lions were last year, which is tanking, but at least you have your draft picks now instead of what they were before, which was tanking, and we don't even have our draft picks because we traded five first-round picks to get Laramie Tunsil as part of how everything fell apart. And so the hellscape Houston Texans are now, instead of being one of the worst situations in the history of professional sports, they are now only slightly better than the New York Giants. And I guess they decided in this gigantic hiring cycle that now was the time to go out and hire a new head coach. One, I guess, technically more or less desperate than David Cully, but also not really entering a great situation. And if you're Brian Flores, you're too good for that job. If you're Jim Harbaugh, you're too good for that job. Eric Bieniemy, you're too good for that job. Brian Dayball, you're too good for that job. And those guys are going to say no to the Houston Texans. Then you're in a pool of either retread coaches, retread white guys, or first-time head coach black guy. All interchangeable, by the way, because unless you're one of the seven really good head coaches in the NFL, your job is completely interchangeable, as we saw with Brian Flores, and as we saw with Mike Zimmer, and as we've seen over the past few years where half the league has fired their head coaches. If you're not one of the 10 teams that has a franchise quarterback or has an amazing head coach, your job is totally interchangeable. And 16 different head coaching positions have opened in the NFL over the last two years, and twice it's been the Texans, twice it's been the Jacksonville Jaguars, and maybe Trevor Lawrence saves whoever becomes the Jaguars coach. But if you're the Houston Texans, if you're the New York Giants, if you're the Denver Broncos, I feel confident saying no matter who you hire, they are going to be fired within three years, and it might be within two years for all three of those franchises. Because again, most of the available pool of candidates this year are too good for your job. They are too good for your job and are going to get fired no matter what within three years unless you miraculously fart your way into finding a franchise quarterback. So well wishes, David Cully. Enjoy your wonderful retirement in Florida or in, I don't know, uh, Maryland, the Northeast, and go buy a beachfront property somewhere. Enjoy your retirement, David Cully. $22 million to, for one year of coaching the Houston Texans. You did exactly what you signed up for when you took the job 12 months ago. You were going to cash some checks, have a chance to be a head coach and control a locker room, but you were basically just doing damage control. And you did a pretty good job. You got the number three pick in the draft. Not the worst thing in the world for the organization, and you weren't the worst team in the NFL. On paper, you overperformed. You had the worst roster in the league on paper, and you only got the third pick in the draft. Slight over-improvement based on expectations, but you were just there to do damage control and collect checks. And this is a thing that teams do in desperation. All of the Houston teams did it. Uh, A.J. Hinch fired in a once-every-hundred-year scandal. What do the Astros do? Hire a black guy who had to take the job. Dusty Baker wasn't getting another MLB head coaching job. Confirmed. Dusty Baker says it himself. Nobody was calling him until the Houston Astros scandal happened, and he becomes damage control guy for the Houston Astros. Houston Rockets. Every Dave, uh, Mike D'Antoni walks out. James Harden gets traded. Hire Steven Silas, first-time head coach, probably slightly underqualified to be an NBA head coach. And uh, Houston Texans did it with David Cully, 
fired David Culley, and now their job is only slightly more desirable than it was a year ago. So they'll get to hire someone who is at least moderately respectable as an NFL head coach and maybe has a chance of being one of the special head coaches. Gerard Mayo, good luck to you. Don't know anything about you, just found out you were the linebackers coach slash defensive coordinator for the Patriots. So good luck to you, Gerard Mayo, who's probably going to get the Houston Texans job because the Texans are just hiring all Patriots people with a team chaplain of the Patriots, a team pastor and his buddy running the Houston Texans and just hiring all Patriots people year after year after year. So congrats, David Culley. Enjoy your retirement. So I mentioned it clunkily off the top of the podcast, but Ben Simmons, let's talk because something very, very interesting happened with Ben Simmons today. And it re-sparks a conversation that we've been having over the past few months. And this is something we do with conversations that are ongoing and, and get dragged out over months and months that are really interesting is that eventually we get bored of talking about Kyrie Irving. Uh, there's no new developments in the Deshaun Watson situation, so we don't have anything to really talk about going back to March and then April and then talking again about it in June and once in July and once in October when the trade requests come in, but there's no new developments in the legal situation. There's nothing to really add to the situation, but now there is something to add to the Ben Simmons situation because the last time we heard from Ben Simmons, he was in a stalemate with the Philadelphia 76ers where he was demanding a trade and the Philadelphia 76ers were saying, we will only trade you if we get a player better than you in return. And Ben Simmons decided that he wasn't going to show up to training camp for the 76ers, then did show up to training camp with the 76ers, got thrown out of practice intentionally, may or may not have had a cell phone in his pocket, purposely made sure to not be in the the team, the one, two, three team thing at the end of practice and made sure cameras saw that. And Ben Simmons, by the way, again, the, the best part of this story is Elton Brand getting a text during a preseason game that Ben is at the stadium. And it was just like, we haven't heard for it. He hasn't talked to the front office. He hasn't talked to Doc Rivers. He hasn't talked to uh, anyone in the Sixers organization. The Sixers flew out to Los Angeles and Ben Simmons told them to turn around because he didn't want to talk to them. Like, there's clearly something going on with Ben Simmons that he just does not want to play with the Philadelphia 76ers anymore. And a big part of that has to do with the fact that they threw him under the bus and backed the bus up on him after running him over after they blew that one in 778 chance of losing to the Atlanta Hawks. They were up 24 points in game five. They were up 20 points in game seven, should have won that series with 99.8% guarantee. There's a one in 778 chance they lose that series. Part of it is Ben Simmons didn't want to shoot free throws, and Ben Simmons didn't take a single sh- shot in the fourth quarter of those series. And so Ben Simmons is ready to go. The Sixers won't trade him. And then Ben Simmons gets his money and is willing to blow everything up, blow up his reputation, which I think was, you know, part of the problem is that NBA fans are generally pro-management and don't like the idea of a guy making millions of dollars talking about his mental health because they themselves would trade positions for Ben Simmons, which is, it's a crazy argument that I hear all the time. It's like, 
it, money does not money pays the down payments to happiness but money can't buy happiness in and of itself like yeah it's great it's a great life that ben simmons has it doesn't mean he also doesn't have problems and so this is the part where people are you know chanting f ben simmons at ufc events and the or where's ben simmons and f ben simmons at different stadiums and like going willing to make it ugly to get out of Philadelphia but wouldn't go to Sacramento if given the opportunity which the Kings didn't make an offer but he's like I'll go to all the LA teams but not Sacramento and so Ben Simmons ends up citing his mental health as a reason for walking away and still getting paid by the team even if the Philadelphia 76ers are reluctant to pay him, I think they still feel there is a possibility for the relationship to be mended. The Sixers still believe Ben Simmons is going to be back this year. So that's all everything that happened there. Right before the season, Ben Simmons steps away from the team, says he needs to work on his mental health, which, again, there's something going on in Ben Simmons' head. We just don't know, similarly to the Antonio Brown situation, what it is, because we don't know these people. If Ben Simmons has a mental crutch to shooting three-pointers, Clearly, there is something that can possibly be going on in his head. It's just a matter of whether or not we choose to believe Ben Simmons has valid reasons for stepping away or not. That's simply the judgment that people pass on this situation is, do you believe Ben Simmons' mental health reasons are valid? To a certain point, I say, absolutely. I think Ben Simmons has valid reasons for not wanting to stay with the 76ers, and if he wants to not play for that team anymore, he should absolutely be allowed to force his way out. At the same time, the Sixers also have a reason to not trade him. But Ben Simmons, we talked about with Kyrie Irving, how we know LeBron James has leverage over his organization. He is the entire economy. Every place that he goes for the past 15 years, it might not be the case this year, but for the past 15 years, by virtue of having him on your team, you are a championship contender. Same with Kevin Durant. Same with... Uh, same with Giannis Antetokounmpo, to a certain extent with James Harden as well, because James Harden used his leverage, willing to make things ugly, got everything he wanted, got to go to the team he wanted, got to go play with the players he wanted, and is going to win a championship maybe this season. James Harden got everything he wanted because he had the leverage to do so. And Ben, uh, Kyrie, I'm sorry, Kyrie Irving was willing to die on this principle and use every single amount of leverage he had and siphon off leverage from Kevin Durant because he said, if you trade me from the Brooklyn Nets, I am going to retire. Kyrie Irving used every amount of leverage that he possibly had over his organization, over uh, with his name, with his basketball skills to say not, I mean, instead of forcing his way out of Brooklyn, he said, I'm going to remain unvaccinated. I'm going to sacrifice money to remain unvaccinated on this stance and I still want to play for the Brooklyn Nets, and I will only play for the Brooklyn Nets. And Kyrie Irving got everything he possibly could. He got everything he wanted. He gets to still play with the Brooklyn Nets, he gets to maybe win a championship this year, and now he gets to play in road games, and they're finding a workaround for how he can play home games and have the team pay his fines with the city of New York. Like, it's insane how it's working out for the Brooklyn Nets, that they're accommodating this guy because Brooklyn, as an organization, has no leverage relative to Kyrie Irving. They have some leverage of telling Kyrie Irving to go home and they'll still be championship good, but they can't trade Kyrie Irving. They have to abide by what Kyrie Irving wants, 
And when push comes to shove, they need Kyrie Irving come playoff time to protect all of their jobs. Organization had no leverage over the Kyrie Irving situation except for just telling Kyrie to go home and say, we're just not going to play you. And they did that. And they folded. Kyrie Irving stuck to his guns. They called their blu- They called his bluff. Kyrie Irving did not bluff. Brooklyn folded. They let Kyrie Irving come back because they were desperate. Ben Simmons is not the player Kyrie Irving is. Ben Simmons does not have the leverage that Kyrie Irving has. In part of why Kyrie Irving had that leverage is because Kyrie Irving was fighting to stay on Brooklyn instead of fighting to leave Brooklyn. And so... It's not the player who's leaving's concern. This is the thing Ben Simmons' agent said during this whole thing. It's the same thing James Harden said when he was forcing his way out of Houston, which was it's not his concern as to what the organization is getting back for him. In many cases, they would want the organization to get less for him in return because it means more is staying with the team that he's getting traded to. Like, James Harden might have liked to also have had Caris Levert on the the Brooklyn Nets when he got there. Doesn't mean it was going to happen, but, you know, you make trade-offs in there. Like, you you trade Caris Levert for the chance to go play with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and all of their draft capital gone. Like, that's a trade-off that you make if you're Brooklyn and James Harden. Like, you'd probably prefer that you get less because then the team you're going to is still better off. Anyways, the point of that being, Ben Simmons had, uh, I'm sorry, not Ben Simmons, Rich Paul, on behalf of Ben Simmons, had a meeting with the Philadelphia 76ers today. And this is uh, directly from the story Adrian Wojnarowski puts out, which, by the way, not the biggest fan of Adrian Wojnarowski because a lot of his sourcing comes in pro-management types, similarly to Adam Schefter and the Mr. Editor thing. Like, he's very much a pro-management NBA reporter, but this is just pure information, so I'm just going to read it real quick here. With the NBA trade deadline a month away, Ben Simmons' agent, Clutch Sports CEO Rich Paul, and boyfriend of Adele, Rich Paul, met with Philadelphia 76ers President of Basketball Operations Daryl Morey and General Manager Elton Brand on Wednesday. The sides remained at a stalemate over the All-Star Guard's immediate future. Simmons is no closer to honoring the team's hopes for a return to the court this season, and the Sixers' steep asking price has brought Simmons no closer to a potential trade, sources told ESPN. The meeting at a downtown Philadelphia restaurant was described as amicable and professional, but Maury reiterated the franchise's stance it won't make Simmons tra- won't make a Simmons trade unless it believes the return gives it a chance to compete for a championship, sources said, which basically means a player better than Ben Simmons. That's me ad-libbing here. Back to the story. Paul told Sixers that Simmons' mental health hurdles continue to preclude him from a return to play with the team and the desire for a trade out of Philadelphia remains in place, sources said. Simmons is signed through the 2024-2025 season, a five-year, $177 million maximum contract, continues to be subjected to significant fines for games missed and absences from team functions. The Sixers have won seven straight games before losing to the Hornets on Wednesday, but they remain out of contention among the elite teams in the Eastern Conference without Simmons to partner with all NBA center Joel Embiid. The Sixers are targeting top 25 caliber players for trades, but those kind of assets have yet to be made available to them in offers. So Philadelphia is holding firm on their stance here, and this is an interesting, interesting game theory analysis here, which is the 76ers are holding strong that, regardless of whether Ben Simmons plays or not, 
Ben Simmons still holds the same value to a potential trade partner. And the flip side of that argument is, if you give up Ben Simmons right now for 80 cents on the dollar, you could lose more on Ben Simmons because he'll hold even less value down the road. And what Daryl Morey is banking on is, whether Ben Simmons plays or not, we cannot win a championship. Our only goal is to win a championship. And we are going to put Ben Simmons in a position where we can get a player better than Ben Simmons in return. Daryl Morey tried to flip Ben Simmons for James Harden. It did not work. They are holding out hope that Damian Lillard is willing to leave and wants to come to Philadelphia and Portland would be willing to take Ben Simmons in a trade because Ben Simmons is undoubtedly a really, really good piece to offer up in a trade. Very few teams can do better than a top 30 player in the NBA in return for their their disgruntled top 5 player or top 10 or top 15 player in the NBA. Very few teams can do better than a Ben Simmons piece. But what the 76ers have decided at this point is that we can't win a championship with Ben Simmons, but we can get closer to a championship with Ben Simmons than without Ben Simmons. And anything we get in return from Ben Simmons, whether it be De'Aaron Fox or whether it be I don't know. The, what do the Pacers have to offer? <laughs> the, if it's Brogdon and some picks, like we can't get anything better than Ben Simmons in a trade right now. Those players just aren't available right now via trade. They might be available in a little bit, but they're just not available right now via trade. And so we're just going to wait it out as long as we possibly can in order to get Ben Simmons in the future and this is in order to trade Ben Simmons in the future and we're going to bank on the fact that Ben Simmons is either going to fold or that Ben Simmons value will not go down in the future but again the flip side of that is what if Ben Simmons value is going down because we've never seen a situation like this before the rest of the NBA knows the 76ers are desperate and have no knowledge of when one of these players is going to become available Because as much as we talk about player movement in the NBA over the last decade, a lot of that is starting to fade out over the past couple of years. The stars of the NBA have gotten to locations, or the stars that had leverage in the NBA, so like stars hitting free agency, they had all of their leverage. They used as much of their leverage as they could and got to situations that are really, really awesome. And so if you're Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Jimmy Butler, if you're one of these players, and you can go down the line to Kevin Durant and Giannis and Joel Embiid, like all of these guys are in prime NBA real estate and are making up a significant portion of their team's cap space in such a way that their teams are locked into them. Their teams signed up for those players through and through. The, both of the Los Angeles teams have their star players locked in at this point. If, if a player wants to go play in Los Angeles, not much of an option available for them if they want to force a trade because the Clippers can't move Kawhi Leonard and can't move Paul George at this point. So they're locked into that situation. The New York Knicks are one that gets thrown out a lot, and that's the team that's connected to Damian Lillard. But the New York Knicks don't really have great assets to go move for someone. They would have to sign someone in free agency and... 
the New York Knicks are the New York Knicks. Like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant said, we want to play in New York, but we don't want to play for the Knicks. So we'll take the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Giannis decided to stay in Milwaukee, and by virtue of being there, he's now made Milwaukee a destination place. Uh, Miami, well, they're locked into Jimmy Butler now. They're locked into, they tried to get Giannis, couldn't get Giannis, locked into Jimmy Butler, locked into Kyle Lowry, locked into Bam Adebayo for the time being. And you can go down the line to other places that are desirable, and they have star players locked in. It's why the top teams in the league this year are a lot of, I mean, Golden State's another one who has Steph Curry. So the teams this year are the Warriors, the Suns, not exactly prime real estate, but the Phoenix Suns still top team in the league this year because everyone else has locked into places. And if you're Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, any of these stars who are getting closer to getting moved out, there's not a lot of better situations to move than the place you're currently playing because if you want to go play in Los Angeles, you got to wait for LeBron James to retire. If you want to go play in Los Angeles for the Clippers, well, you got to wait for what? I mean, it's not a great situation because they don't have draft picks, but you got to wait for Paul George to get traded and you got to wait for Kawhi Leonard to come back. Like, it's hard to make, you'd have to get a trade for Paul George in there too. So it's like, there's not a lot of great situations for people to jump to. And so stars have decided, I'm just going to re-up where I am. Luka Doncic, re-up in Dallas. Uh, obviously, it's a rookie contract, so it's a different thing. Um, you, you see Joel Embiid sign a four-year contract with the 76ers. It's like, yeah, I'll stay here. Jason Tatum has that giant contract with Boston. Like People are signing to lock into their real estate, and then maybe if a better situation comes up, they can force their way out. And what that means is nobody is forcing their way out which means the Sixers are stuck on Ben Simmons. And we saw this like flurry of people changing teams. Between 2017 and 2019, everyone changed teams because everyone was gearing up for the summer of Kawhi Leonard and the summer of Kevin Durant. And everyone was trying to gear up to get in position to sign one of those people. And so they moved stars left and right. Jimmy Butler got traded three times and Blake Griffin got traded, and there's that graphic of like every member of the 2017 All-Star team was on a different team by 2019, or like whatever, I think it wasn't exactly that, but it was like 80% of the All-Star team (laughs) switched teams, and everyone is staying in the same place that they are, because it's fine to be in those places, you can't switch every half season, because at a certain point, you're just going to run out of good situations to go to, and so The Sixers are kind of just waiting for one of those stars to want to come play for them. And that might take a really long time, not by like the standards of the world, but a long time by we've never seen a top 30 player in the NBA sit out an entire season with a team good enough to win a championship because that team is standing firm on we are waiting for Damian Lillard. And after Damian Lillard, who else can you name that's, like, going to be the next available star? Is it Jokic? Like, there is not really any names down the line. And so it looks like there's no end in sight if this stalemate is going to hold out, is going to keep going, except for one of the teams or one of the sides folding. And Philadelphia looks like they've locked into, we are not going to fold from our position because our position is advantageous. We are going to 
or we have the leverage in this situation because either you're going to fold and you're going to come back and play, or we're going to wait until we get a player better than you because your value does not decline by you sitting on the bench. And Ben Simmons's camp is articulating, no, my value does decline if I sit for an entire season. You are only losing value the longer you wait it out. I got to be honest, I'm not sure what the answer is to whether or not Ben Simmons' value declines the longer he sits out, but it would take a perfect situation for this to work for the 76ers. Otherwise, someone's going to end up folding at some point, and it looks like, at this point, it's probably going to be Ben Simmons. So if we're figuring out, and this is a great thought experiment of, who has leverage in the NBA to go play wherever they want to play? That if they're willing to make it ugly, and if they're willing to use their leverage, they can force a way out of an organization because of the economy that they have. <laughs> My favorite example of this is like Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald's been trying for four years to get out of Sacramento. He just can't do it. Just can't do it. He has zero leverage in trying to force his way out of Sacramento. He's, he wanted the money. He signed on the dotted line for the money. And he just can't get out of Sacramento. So we know Buddy Heald doesn't have leverage. He's been trying to get out of Sacramento for years and years and years. Can't do it. He doesn't have leverage. Kyrie Irving did have leverage. Just barely enough. But Kyrie Irving got his organization to fold in a standoff. And yes, Kyrie Irving's prerogatives were different than Ben Simmons' prerogatives. So we know LeBron James has leverage to go anywhere he wants at any time. If he tells the Lakers tomorrow, I want to be traded, and he's willing to make it ugly, they will do it. Giannis, same thing. Kevin Durant, same thing. James Harden, etc., etc. We've seen it happen before. We've seen Kevin Durant do it. We've seen James Harden do it. We've seen Kyrie Irving do it in the past. Damian Lillard could do it tomorrow, and it would work for Damian Lillard. So we know they have leverage. We know Buddy Heald doesn't have leverage, and we know Ben Simmons is somewhere in between Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, James Harden levels of stars, and Buddy Heald. Ben Simmons is a top 30 player in the NBA right now. I'd go as far as to say like top 25, but again, it's like semantics. It's like 26 or 27, doesn't matter. Ben Simmons would be an all-star this year in the Eastern Conference if he had played the entire season. And... It's so difficult to figure out, does Ben Simmons have enough leverage to force the Philadelphia 76ers to fold? And I gotta say, looks like the answer is no. At least if I had to bet, I'd say the Sixers are the favorite to win this standoff. Or it just continues as a standoff through the entire season. And everyone amicably parts ways whenever Ben Simmons hits free agency, which according to my count is... Three and a half years from now, three and a half years from now for Ben Simmons to still hit free agency. So I think the Sixers are going to win the standoff. At least it looks like the Sixers, as long as they're willing to hold out, the point where Simmons increases his leverage is when you get closer to playoff time, do the Sixers fold on their stance and say, I actually no, I guess it would be the, the leverage increases closer to the playoffs. I guess the trade deadline is the last chance, isn't it? So the closer you get to the trade deadline, the Simmons camp gains leverage, and maybe we'll start hearing leaks around that time. Once you get close, because after the trade deadline, Ben Simmons' only options are to sit out or to come back and play 
for the Philadelphia 76ers. So I guess as we get closer to the trade deadline, which I think is a month from now, possibly, uh, it, as we get closer to the trade deadline, you're probably, yeah, the, the 10th, so less than a month away from the NBA trade deadline, you're going to start to see more stuff come out from the Simmons camp. And maybe Rich Paul is leaking this to Wojnarowski. I'd say it's probably less likely and just more that this information got out that they're still at a standoff because it's not like anything hugely, it's, it's not anything hugely over the top on the Ben Simmons. Wow. They're still in a standoff. But as we get closer to the deadline four weeks from now, I think we're probably going to hear more Ben Simmons whispers, just little little whispers trickle in with leaks and back and forth stuff. Because after that, I think Simmons' leverage kind of disappears, and I think the organization's probably going to win, which is telling just about the state of how many players actually have leverage in these situations. If they are willing to, you know, burn bridges with the organization they play for, burn bridges with the fan base. If they're willing to make things ugly, can you force your your will with your leverage? We know Kyrie Irving can do it, and I don't think Ben Simmons can do it. So I guess the bar is somewhere between Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons, because Kyrie Irving is a top 15 player in the NBA. Ben Simmons is a top 30 player in the NBA. So the level of leverage that a player has lies somewhere in between, which I guess is if you're the franchise player, or if you're Kyrie Irving, if you have the leverage of a franchise type of player. I guess you can make that type of move and seems to be the move for Ben Simmons right now is to try and make leverage plays like a franchise player and the Sixers are holding firm. They are not going to fold and I find that quite fascinating. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in to the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sunday and the Walter Mitchell Power Hour to get you set for Wild Card Weekend. It drops on Saturday, so be on the lookout for that podcast. A bonus episode this week. Wired Up is going to come out on Sunday where we recap the two games before, which I guess is Patriots-Bills, which will be most of the conversation, and obviously Raiders-Bengals, which I find infinitely interesting. Check those out. It'll be so interesting. Uh, I hope it'll be interesting and entertaining. Thanks for stopping in, everybody. And as always, take it easy. We will talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow, Saturday podcast. Check it out. Thanks, everybody. Take it easy.